So today we are in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 21. I would highly encourage you to get a Bible on your phone or in your hand, or just snuggle very closely next to your neighbor so you can get your eyes on the text. Um, Our hope is in God, and he communicates through his word, not people, not people's words. So we're going to gather and study God's word. So that's what we're here. We want you to see it. We want you to read it. But, you're, but you and I, as people, will come back into that word throughout today's message. Our passage last week ended with this concept, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a big argument being made through this book. If you've never seen Romans before, Romans is the, the, the economic manual of the universe, is what Romans is. It is thick rich, robust uh, questions and answers made. Um, In your early years of walking with Jesus, you're going to be able to go through it and you're going to find these berries hanging through there. Like, wow, it's an amazing berry. That verse being one of them, whoever calls shall be saved. You find the berry of, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And then you find the berry of, there's therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. And then you hit chapter 12, you're like, wow, there's all these cool to-dos. Be zealous for the Lord, continuing constantly in prayer. Be a living sacrifice. And then a couple years later, you're like, oh my gosh, Romans 8. How did I not see Romans 8? The thing's amazing. But all you notice, notice is Romans 8, 28. And then two years later, you recognize that Romans 8.28 has 27 verses before it, and about 10 after it, and they're all equally amazing. And, and then you keep going through it, and you're like, man, I don't understand half this stuff in Romans. Like, it's just Israel and law and weird things. It's beautiful stuff. It's beautiful stuff. And it is hard to understand. How do we know it's hard to understand? Well, there's this guy named Peter. Peter's one of Jesus' apostles. And Peter, we love him. Um, He is the man who has self-displayed his own humility in the scriptures and those that he taught and discipled all through the time so that Jesus is the hero and not Peter. And towards the end of the New Testament, Peter writes a letter. And Peter references Paul, who wrote this book called Romans, which is a letter from Paul over to a bunch of people living suspiciously in a place called Rome. That's why it's called Romans. And he wrote this letter, and Peter says, hey, Paul writes in his letter some stuff that's really hard to understand. And people, because they're not careful with it, they twist it to their own destruction. But all I'm saying is, if the Apostle Peter says the stuff's hard to understand, don't feel dumb. Don't feel dumb. Don't sit there, as I did this week, and go, I don't get this, and, and just give up or feel like, oh, this is beyond me. Like, there's, there's the application of our hearts and minds to the book of Romans. And in it is this amazing coding of the universe, is the amazing coding of the whole plan of salvation and who God is and what he's doing throughout all humanity. It's amazing good stuff. So our chapter today is part of that. Our passage last week ended with this amazing statement, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who's the whoever is particularly both Jewish people and non-Jewish people. But how do those people, how does the whole level playing field get access to God? Call on the name of the Lord. So understand who Jesus is and what he's done and say, I believe you, please give me. Give me what you're offering. I call out upon the name of the Lord. See, one of the problems uh, for the people of Israel and one of the problems for the people of the church and actually probably a problem for most of us in the room is when we start thinking about who God is and this great plan of the entire Bible, we get confused sometimes about how some of this worked. And one of the great confusions was is that people in the Old Testament, some did and many still do 
we get confused and think that the people of the Old Testament were all cool with God because they were born Jewish or more likely because they did the Old Testament instructions, which would be called the law. And they think, okay, well, if you're Jewish or maybe if you're Philistine and you hop the fence and hang out with the Jews and you do enough of the law-y thing, eventually God goes, ah, okay, come on, you're good. They would believe something like that. And much of Romans is dedicated to the Spirit of God who wrote Romans through Paul, tearing that down and saying, listen, no people, Jewish or Gentile, ever were good enough before God. They never could be. And God did give a law. And that law, theoretically, potentially could save you, but no human can climb that beanstalk. We just slip right down it. So no one has ever successfully managed to carry out the law, except for one, and his name is Jesus, and he didn't need saving in the first place. So that law was not meant to get us to heaven. There's only one way that the Old Testament believer or the New Testament believer would come into a relationship with God no matter what side of the fence of, of Jerusalem they were born on. And is that, that is for them to understand who God is, understand his offer, and to place their faith in that proposed offer to them. That's the only way he did it, and that's the only way he will do it. Now, in the New Testament, we know what that offer is, a lot more of it. We understand actually how he does it. We have to understand how he does it through the work of Jesus. So this passage is tacking on the argument of, like, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And our passage today is demonstrating that it has always historically been that way. I want to walk you through the passage so you can understand the argument of the passage, and then I'm going to loop back up and kind of hit some places that particularly will deal with us where we're at in this day and age. So... Fire up Romans chapter 10, verse 14, and let me just pray as we go. Father, um, thank you for who you are and your message and your promises and all the things that we just sang and praised your name for. We have nothing but Christ. We, we, we wholeheartedly, corporately call out to him, and we need your spirit now to help us to understand, to read and understand your word, and to believe it and to heed and not walk by it. So Lord, we love you, and we trust you, and pray that you would help us by your spirit for your glory, and for the delights that you promise us. In Christ's name, amen. So, salvation by, by faith has always been the pathway, even in the Jewish people. And in verse 14, he starts backtracking to show how this has always been the case. So, some of you guys have kids. Some of you guys will have kids. Maybe some of you guys are kids right now. I'm just telling you, there's going to be this question of like, how did the Jewish people get okay with God? That's a big question. And at the end of this, you're not going to say they did the law. If you did, I did a terrible job preaching this, and you did a terrible job reading it, or else just hard-hearted. Okay, verse 14. This is a backtracking argument of this. <clears throat> how then will they, as Jewish and Gentile, call on him? So literally, how should they have called on him? It's not a question about how they will do it in the future, but how should they have done it? How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And here's what hit, hits the, ring, uh, the ears of people. Well, they did hear. They did hear. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And they're thinking, well, someone was preaching. It's called the Old Testament. Right? So the, the, he's asking questions backwards that actually are striking them, and they're rhetorical questions that strike them as impossibilities. How then will they call on him 
in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard, and how are they to hear without someone preaching, and how are they to preach unless they are sent, because they were sent already by God. Their names are names like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Moses, David, Daniel, a whole lot of them. Just flip the first half of your Bible, right? The preachers were sent. How are they to preach unless they are sent? Then quoting Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. This is Isaiah <laughs> saying, how beautiful are the feet of those who preached good news because they were doing it in the Old Testament so much that Isaiah says, and their feet are beautiful. So the preaching is already happening in the Old Testament. But, verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel. The problem was not that Israel lacked the promise of God to trust in faith. The problem was that they did not obey the good news that God had sent to them. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so, circling back to his bigger argument in this book here, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? Jews and Gentiles, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. A quotation out of Psalm 19. The voice has gone out to all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. But I ask, question number two, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, and the answer is yes, they actually did understand, but they didn't believe. Moses says, first five books of the Old Testament, to Israel, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then later, second half of the Old Testament, much later, a thousand years later, Isaiah is so bold to say, prophesying in God's own voice here, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So this chunk, and you will understand the pieces of it. So when you read this, when you read this book the first time, you start going like, oh, oh, so we should send out missionaries, right? They can't hear. We'll get there. But first thing we understand like what the argument is. The argument is part of this greater argument is that God has always been speaking to the world and God has been speaking to his people. It's always been that way. And the way they'd always access him is actually listening to what he says and believing in him. It's what happened to Abraham, right? Abraham wasn't like a righteous hot man that all of a sudden like drew God's favor and like God's like, man, I want him on my team. No, no, no. Abraham's an unworthy man wandering around the desert and God comes to him and Abraham puts his faith in the promises that God gave to Abraham. Same thing happens to Isaac. Same thing happens to Jacob. Same thing happens to Moses, to David, to Isaiah, to Jeremiah, to them all. God comes and presents information to them the, the word is preached to them communicated to them so when you hear read preached in this text please don't think it's this thing right here it's just simply shared it's what you do it's what i do it's any way that the word goes out write it down in a blog slide it across on a napkin translate it into languages preach it from a pulpit sharing that word it has always been this way god has been sharing himself his heart and his plans to people and their call and their responsibility is to respond and take in what God says. And in that, God saves people. And that's always the way he's done it. 
That's always the way he will do it. The difference in the New Testament is we now know the method by which he does that. We now know, oh, and the way he did that is the Messiah, and the Messiah's name is Jesus. And he's always been God and becomes a man and keeps that divinity and humanity forever, 100%. Learning week, what do we call that in God's nature? Jesus' nature? Starts with an H? Hypostatic union. Good job listening. So Jesus has this hypostatic union, two natures, 100% God, 100% man, that he keeps on forever. And right now he sits in the halls of heaven, interceding for us in his divinity and in his humanity. And because of his humanity, he is a compassionate high priest, having experienced the things we went through. I didn't make that up. I'm just quoting Hebrews. Like his, his, his humanity now is affecting how he actually stands on our behalf. So we understand who the Messiah is. Then he comes and fulfills all those crazy prophecies that you could never line up from where you're born to what your parents have done and on top of all the deeds that he did. And then he gets done with all of that and then issues himself to die. I mean, I'm still kind of taken back by the point. Like everyone's trying to talk him down. He's like, no, 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 I have to do what I have to do. And his soul is really troubled. And they come and gather around him and <laughs> they say, who are you? And he says it. And the whole crowd of baddies all fall over on their backs. Like, and then he puts his hands out like, take me. No one took Jesus' life. He gave his life up. And he gives his life up. And he dies perfectly. And he hangs there on the cross, fulfilling prophecies as he, the good guy, quotes Psalm 22 good guy lines. And as the leaders of Israel, the bad guys who know who he is but don't believe him, they quote the bad guy lines of Psalm 22 back to Jesus as he hangs on the cross. Crazy stuff. Then he gives up his spirit because no man takes it. And then he rips open the grave and walks. Like, now we know who he is. You don't come to God without knowing who his Messiah is and what he did. And you know how you get in on that? That, that work that Jesus bled for and sweated for and was stabbed in the back for. You know how you get in on it? He says, believe me and, and call out to me. That's the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. We know who the Messiah is. It's always been by grace through faith, now it is just that we know it's through Christ in all of that. And we have to. So now let me circle back around and let's pick up some pieces as we go through here. Go back to 14. Some things we'll pick up here. And uh, my first slide is this God's message, gospel message must be verbally communicated. And by verbally, I don't mean out of your mouth. I mean by words, verbs, nouns, pronouns, adjectives, maybe some exclamation points. Okay, so it has to be verbally communicated. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Preaching here being the presenting of God's message, not a sermon. You need words. It is said that Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Uh, the problem is, old Francis never said that. And if he did, sweet Franny would be wrong. So you do have to preach words. One time we did the gospel workshop and we got through all this kind of talking all these words and how you share it. And then sometimes the tables after, uh, mind you, four hours of looking at scripture over there and people are like, I don't think I have to share the gospel. I could just kind of live it out. Like, oh, no, no, no. You need to read, my friends. You need to read. Where can you start reading? Uh, our text today would be a good spot. Just put a bookmark in it, right? God works through words brought through people. They can't believe unless they get the message, and the message can't get to them unless someone gives them the message. Sure, sure, God could bring that message through a vision. 
i.e. Paul, on the road. And i.e. like many of us are praying for Turkey, that people are stuck under the rubble over there, they don't have any Christian friends, that God would reveal himself. But you know what he has to do? He has to reveal his words. That's the only way a person can come to know Jesus. So the gospel message must be verbally communicated. Now what's funny is, when you hear that statement, that people cannot enter into a relationship with God unless they hear the gospel. Literally, there's not a soul on the planet that can enter into a relationship with God unless they hear the gospel. I'm not sure why this is, but that clear and stated fact is almost always immediately bulldozed by a classic Christian question of, yeah, but. So, yeah, but is a device that sits in the hearts of Christians, and, um, and it comes up all the time. It's like, this, it's like this burp you have when you read deep things, particularly in Romans. God says, I'm in complete control. You're like, yeah, but what about the unbeliever? You know, it's like he says something, and it's just this automatic like parrying device. Um, if you don't know what parrying is, I didn't until um, some people in my household started playing um, video games where an um, attacker comes with, and they apply something to you, and you're just doing nothing until they apply some attack to you, and you're like, you take that attack, and you catalyze it, swing it back at them. So Christian Yabbatism is when God says amazing things and somehow immediately we feel the uncontrollable urge to fire a counter question instead of listening to what he said. So when we say no human being can ever encounter and know the living God without the message of Jesus Christ, we say, yeah, what about a person who's living on an island in the middle of the ocean that never heard? Like, how can it be fair? It's a Yabbatism. So I just want to say, I think we should address and understand the human tendency to yibut, and uh, to be cautious of that. We as Christian people, we sit at the feet of Jesus, we take that gospel positioning, right? We say, you have the words of life, teach them. Bring me those things. Now, your question about the person on the island that came into about 30 of your heads when we said that no person can enter into a relationship with God unless they hear the gospel, um, it's a great question. It's a great question, probably for another time when God isn't telling you something he, he knows is really important for you to know. So when you feel the yeah, but hold on to it, maybe just write it down. Because the question can be a really good question in the right time. So, but first things is listen to what he's saying. So first of all, listen to what he's saying. Number two, r- write it down. And number three, just be a little honest to yourself. Were you losing sleep about people on an island who hadn't known about Jesus before God said that? Because if you haven't been losing sleep about people on an island who haven't heard about Jesus until God said that, why did you just emotionally cough that up so fast when he was trying to say something else? Like it starts to betray, man, we are just so thinking in our own ways instead of like just tuned to say, God, give me your words. Give me truth. When you speak, when you split the heavens, who am I as a little man to sit there and say, yeah, but like, no, hit me with it. Like, let me hear your words. So write the question down. Buy me a cup of coffee and we'll talk about people on that island if that was your B.A. but move. But understand this, the text here is really clear. People cannot enter into a relationship with God unless they hear the gospel, encounter the gospel, read the gospel, sign language the gospel. It's got to be communicated in words. And they cannot know him unless they get that message. And your carrier. Number two. Gospel people must send gospel communicators. Verse 15. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. By the way, uh, two weeks ago, James Van Newkirk was here. Um, some of you guys know him, part of our church, great folks. Um, uh, one of the things I love about James, like I, I was his junior high and high school youth pastor. Well, maybe just high school pastor. It's a long time ago. But like he, when he got out of high school, one of the first things he did is he went to the tattoo shop and he has the word good news tattooed across the tops of his feet. Um, just because he thought about these passages, he believed it with all of his heart. Like, um, you know, it's figurative language. You don't have to get the tattoo, just for clarity. But I'm just saying the brother next time here, ask him to kick off his pigs and take a look at this really amazing tattoo across both feet. Because the point that he's put in his heart is it's beautiful to bring the good news of Christ to people. And he put it painfully on his feet. So how beautiful, how are they to preach unless they're sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. So those presenters, the communicators of the verbal gospel, they have to be sent. And in this passage, namely, God is the sender. That's the argument of the macro passage. Okay, just be straightforward. This isn't about us trying to rally sending church planters and missionaries. But it does get there. God is the first sender. And so we understand as part of his sending units, we do send people to mission. God stirs people to walk away from normal life. I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, um, and it's, uh, the oldies in the room and the youngies in the room, uh, the oldies in the room that tend to have a little more cash and the youngies in the room who just dream about such things. Um, <laughs> as you set up your finances, you think in kingdom ways, sending is part of God's stewardship plan for you. Um, is it just simply about like, offloading my obligatory amount of cash every month towards giving the Lord? Or are you really a steward of God's stuff? And part of the sending process of like sending out missionaries. So when somebody says, hey, I'm going to give up on this because I feel God's leading me to go to someplace like Indonesia or Afghanistan or South America or wherever it happens to go, really prayerfully consider, is there a real, might there be a reason that God has moved them to set aside their life to go there and done it in the presence of you, who happen to have some of the money or the skills or, or resources to help do that. Maybe God is calling you, maybe the reason God's giving you money is for you to give 5%, 15%, I don't know what it is, to help that person or that missionary or that church plant, um, that pastoral intern, send them on their way because we are stewards of God's things. So we do it in missions, we do it in church sending. You know, the next generation is coming. Um, we just think of all these beautiful souls down here underneath this building here. Um, they're the next generation, and there's a generation coming after them. Where will they hear the message of Jesus? Uh, in Ohio. So there's this place called Ohio. We live in it, except for a couple of us visitors. Welcome. Um, most of us live in this place here, you know, and, and in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's the great sending out of the missionaries, right? There'll be, there'll be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. We are an uttermost part of the world to that. God has sent you here through genetics and through messaging, and it's like, boom, has sent us here. So let's do a really good job of sending out the message, not simply to the geographical area of us, but to the generational uh, influence of those. So that's one of the reasons for us as a church, we put time into trying to, sniff out and help and encourage and establish gospel emphatic churches in our state. And then finally, the other part is this. We send you 
we send you. Oh, my friend Seth Rodriguez back there underneath that light. He knows a bunch of people that none of the rest of you guys know. He's got neighbors that aren't your neighbors. He's got coworkers that aren't your coworkers. He's got family. He's got an online presence, all kinds of stuff, right? There, there are a bunch of people that have him. God sent Seth there. And we as a church, we are part of the sending of that. We recognize that mission field and say, hey, Seth, we don't want to so occupy your life that God pulls you out of the mission field. We, we with Christ want to send you that way. We want to send you through the health of God's family and be God's family for you and care for you. We want to equip you to train you with things like that gospel workshop lake house thing. I'm serious, folks. Give us a chance. Like we want to equip you as best we can so that when you open your mouth and you speak about Jesus, it's, it's true and it makes sense and it's beautiful. It's not only news, but it's good news. Like we want to equip him with equipping. We want to equip him with resources. We want to equip him with love. God sends him through us as the local church. And we, brothers and sisters, we gladly send you into your world by the power of the Spirit to be Christ's witness on his behalf. And we want to do our best to send you. Um, so one of our discussions, we had a pastoral retreat about a month ago. Like Each one of us in this room really are a stewardship. Like you're given, you, you are God's deeply loved ones. And we need to pastorally do everything we can to support and equip and empower you to not only thrive, but to be sent into the places he's sending you. That's what God's called us to do. And so we want to be faithful to that. We don't want to use you. We want to equip you and send you. So God is the sending God. He sends people with this message. <clears throat> Found parallels in Acts 17. We're quoting this in our MC the other night. And he made from one man of every nation of of, of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their time. The period being 2023, the boundary being Columbus, Ohio. God's allotted you to that place, or Indianapolis, a couple of the places, right? Why? So that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him because they don't know him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Very similar words just up north in our passage in, in verses eight and nine, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised from the dead, you will be saved. It's a beautiful thing to bring the good news of Jesus to people who need it so badly and we participate in that beauty by sharing and sending sharers of the gospel message. Third piece, um, things to be really aware of. This will help you for you, and this will help you for your messaging. Number one, we humans ignore general revelation. General revelation is described in Romans chapter one as the way that God has, has betrayed the fact that he exists and his nature. He exists in his nature. But we don't know a lot of things about his character. We look outside, and it testifies that God is there, and he is divine otherly than us. Um, this quotation here was out of, um, in, in verse 18, he says, but I ask, have they, the people of the world, not heard? Indeed they have, quoting from Psalm 19, 4, their voice has gone out to all the world, has gone out to all the world, and their words to the end of the world. It's a quotation from Psalm 19, you just hear it from me. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork, proclaim, teach, they're speaking out. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge, true knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words whose voice is not heard. 
Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. A parallel, that's the Old Testament, talking about God saying how I've used general revelation to impact and imprint on every soul on the planet that I am there. Parallel Romans 8, uh, 1 verses 18 to 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, clearly perceived ever since creation of the world in the things that have been made, and so they are without excuse. Old Testament, New Testament, God has given fair demonstration to every soul on this planet that he is there because they experience the world. Some of them don't have eyes, and they feel it, and they hear it. Some don't have ears, so they see it and feel it. But it's all there. They've all been demonstrated to it. God has fairly and sufficiently demonstrated his existence and divine nature to all humans by what is created around and above them. And so all humans have heard and rejected God as he has beautifully testified to us all. All of humanity, therefore, has the need of the gospel. And humans, we've denied him despite him revealing himself through his non-randomness and exquisite creation. It's, want proof of that? We have a thing called Discovery Channel. We don't open up the television to watch the randomization of the fuzz on the screen. We go to the Discovery Channel because it's amazing to discover the stuff that's out there because it's testifying of God. And you may not logically pin that down and you may not even emotionally feel that, but the God of the heaven says, you know that. Deep in your heart, you know that. So I can reference it in preaching. You can reference it with others. God's actively and effectively testifying through the mind-bending creativity, through his complexity, interconnectivity, and the beauty found out your window every single day, and he's declaring his presence to every single soul on this planet through general revelation. But you can't get saved through general revelation. No person will come to know God through general revelation. They have to understand the words of God, which we call special revelation. So boom, here we go. Our fourth point is, we then ignored special revelation. It's coming, boom, okay? So our sinful problem is God demonstrates himself towards us and we're like, eh, I've seen better. Eh, doesn't make sense. Oh, that's just a lucky coincidence, the human eyeball for one. Just lucky things, right? So we, we, we are guilty of suppressing the truth in general revelation and then God comes and speaks special revelation. So now beyond his nature, we know his character and his plan and his heart and his invitation and then we just totally jack that up too. Look in, verse, um, look in verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? And the answer is, yes, they were specifically warned. First Moses says, quoting Deuteronomy 32, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, and with a foolish nation I will make you angry. He's saying, prophetically, you guys are going to, even though I bear out my heart and tell you these things, you guys are going to snub me so much that eventually I'm going to have to bring discipline on you and reach out to other nations to make you jealous and yearn for the things that I've given you. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, and a foolish nation I will make you angry. Verse 20. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, quoting from Isaiah 65, and expecting, expressing God's corrective judgment on unbelieving Israel, I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Verse 21. But of Israel, he says, Again from Isaiah 65, all day long I've held my hands out 
to a disobedient and contrary people. So our human need is this. We don't listen to God when he shows himself to us through amazing things. I mean, talking about grass, I go out there and pick one piece of grass. Do you know that all the mightiness and all the, all the technology, all humanity, we can't make one stinking piece of grass. And that is just the tip of the iceberg in this amazing, astounding thing that God has made and sustains. And is God communicating to everyone that he's there and he's divine? And then on top of that, God speaks. But the problems of our heart is so dim and dark that we don't even listen to when he speaks. And when he blesses, we're like, eh, that's great. What's next? You know, there's just this deep problem of the human heart. But the solution is this, God offers mercy to that. That's the amazing part of the good news. The problem is so low, but the solution is so much higher. Welcoming us. And like, just look, look at the end of verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now I know it says hands, but I think it means arms. Here's why. I don't think the picture is God doing this. Like T-Rexing, right? I, the, the, picture, the picture is, is God is, this is all day long, I hold out my arms to literally an apathetic and anti-message people that are chucking the words I give to them and just throwing it away all day long. So because we're listeners and we're not yet butters, in Romans chapter nine, we get this amazing thing. God's in control. God holds salvation in his hand. And we're like, hey, what God says we listen to. In Romans 10, I don't know how it works together in God's heart and mind, but he betrays more of his heart here. While salvation is completed in his hands, he longs for all people to come to him. How does it work? I don't know. I don't need to figure that one out. These are just things that God, the way God is describing his heart. And just as much as in control, he says here, all day long. That's a patient, longing outburst for people to come to him. The graciousness and the tenderness of God's heart is expressed in an amazing way in this passage. So be careful, thinkers. Be careful that you don't, we don't just simply come in and take a peek at God and say, I like this part about God. And usually, we as Westerners first look at the compassion of God and ditch the strength of God. But then as we start reading, it's like again and again and again, God's talking about strength. So then we go and go, oh, God's totally sovereign. And we put aside the notions that his heart is full of compassion and longing for people. We are listeners, We're listeners to God. Listen to what he says. God is showing himself. He is way beyond you and me, way beyond. So it's an honor in these passages. He opens up the great complexities of himself. Let's take everything he says. Take everything he says and pray with those things and use and function those things. God is full of compassion and tenderness in wanting us to come to him. I have five bullet point thoughts as we walk out of this passage, kind of circling back the whole idea. Number one, Access to God has al- always has been and always will be by only by naked faith. The access to God always has been and always will be only by naked faith. Nothing else. Not an ounce of like, and I did this. No, faith alone has always been, always will be the access to God. Not a stitch of hope in our own efforts, merit of self-goodness. Number two, people must, um, must be given the gospel to believe in it. People must be given the gospel to believe in it. They have to hear it, read it, feel it, braille. I don't care what it is. Like They have to be given the gospel to believe in it. They can't believe what's not presented to them. So if God's sending you into a bunch of lives, you just can't go along doing the, the Christian shiver. And it's so amazing then by how you act. You're like, man, 
I bet Jesus came in the world and died sacrificially. So I could be like, you got to speak the words. Speak the words. Number three, unreservedly call out to Jesus. Unreservedly call out to Jesus. Christian and non-Christian. You start, you come to know Jesus by becoming born again by calling out to Jesus. But we don't quit calling out to Jesus. All right, we keep longing for him, calling out to him in faith. Number four, be on absolute alert to respond to God. Be on absolute alert to respond to God. See, you started out this life, and so did I, being ignorant of general revelation and, and deniers of it, and being deniers of special revelation and ignorant of it. It's a problem we had, and though we are saved and made perfect in Christ judicially, we still wrestle with that. He warns us against growing in hard-heartedness. So brothers and sisters, whew, sin is deceitful. It will crop, it's going to trick you. You have a foe who tricks you. And your foe, Satan, is way older than you, way smarter than you, knows far better history, knows what the psychologist said yesterday, what they're going to say today, and what the next round of 20 of them, he gets it all. He's really good at social media and everything in between. Um, you have a foe. Be on absolute alert to respond to God when God reveals his words to you. Get into his word, flee apathy and rebellion like the plague. Let me just read you. Hot passage, so just soak this one in. It's not up there. Isaiah 65, 11. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups mixed with wine for destiny. So hey, you guys who have heard my stuff, but have kind of passed by my stuff. I will destine you to the sword and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. And when I spoke, you did not listen, but you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Do not allow hardness of heart to make you move away from listening to what God says. Because there's plenty of us in the room, in this life, who very well may not know the Lord, we think we're safe, we kind of think we are, but we will be won over by progressive hardness. And we will listen to God's word, you'll come here and we'll speak and you're like, that's good, good, that's interesting, whatever, I don't agree with it. But it's not, you're not taking that and listening for the Lord, saying, God, what is this? Is this true of me? These things. You're not listening to these things. And if you do that, you take the amazing truths out of God's words and you don't hold them for God, you're playing with fire. It will consume you. God's word will do something to you. It always will be. It will propel you towards him or it will show the recalcitrant nature of your heart and get you harder and harder and colder and more and more and more unlike the heart of Jesus, though you may be getting smarter. So be on absolute alert. I just think that the wording of that passage is brutal. When I called, you did not answer. And when I spoke, you did not listen. Brothers and sisters, when he calls, answer. When he speaks, listen. But instead you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. And man, I just I read that. I said, like, gosh, man, am I weak? How many things, how many ways did hardness crawl from my heart this week? I believe I know Jesus, but a fight against it, right? How many things that burden the heart of Jesus did I take a giggle at? Did I, did I watch or take his entertainment or embrace him in some way or another? Chose what I did not delight in. Finally, the last one is this. Brothers, sisters, since you are sent, be beautiful. Since you are sent, be beautiful. 
You are loved by Jesus Christ deeply, loved by the Father, cared for, and he's sending you. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The people that hate good news will say you're ugly, cancelable, uh, foolish, lame, terrible. You are the scorn of humanity, and we might want to kill you. But the God of heaven says something different. He says, when you carry my message, and you are sent by me, and you pretend message, you are beautiful. You are as beautiful as you will ever be. Beauty is in the eyes of the holder in some sense, right? Who will find beauty? Beautiful. And brothers and sisters, I would pray that you be truly beautiful. Take the message that he's given you. Go into the world sent by the authority of Jesus. Let us as a church send you into that world that you're in this week, maybe in a mission field next year. I don't know. But take that and go be beautiful, truly beautiful, because beauty is found in Christ's likeness, being conformed into the image of Christ and the words and message of Christ on our lips. Be beautiful, see beautiful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you. In a moment here, we'll celebrate communion. And we thank you, Jesus, you died for us, the beautiful one, the spotless lamb who laid down his life for us. Thank you for that. Thank you for being good. Thank you for treating us with good. Thank you for lavishing on us the riches of your grace. We saw last week in the passage, we see in Ephesians 2, you lavish us full of love and blessings. And then you make us beautiful. So, Jesus, thank you for bringing us your word. Thank you for stirring our hearts to respond. Thank you for bringing us in on the great sending of this message. So, Father, keep our hearts from hardness. Please keep us listening to you. Thank you for bringing the message. Please give us a a deep longing to be a part of the bringing of the message to people that more and more people might um, swell into this goodness and the goodness might get greater because more people will experience it. Father, please do your work by your spirit in us. We have no hope for it but you, and we are forever thankful for that. In Christ's name we pray.